nice of you to join us, Midnight Warriors. And welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Hunter Cates. On today's show, we're reviewing Daniel Craig as Ian Fleming's 007 James Bond in Spectre. Then in special features, we will discuss the James Bond series in For Your Ears Only. And finally, we'll wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first... All right, Chris, before we get into discussing a film about an agent with a license to kill, let's talk about A License to Kitch, which is, of course, The Dangerous Men, which I believe you have some updates for us. Yeah, so if you're listening right now on Friday the 13th, the day this episode comes out, then you're in luck because Dangerous Men is either at a theater near you or available on VOD right now. Um, I highly suggest you watch it with a group of people, though. So if it's playing near you, go see that. If it's not, I'd say rent it and just have a bunch of friends over. Well, I'm curious. It'll be a good time. When you say have a bunch of people over, do you mean like kind of what short church groups did with the passion, wherever you just rent out an that's, entire theater that, that's and exactly, have a church group? That's kind exactly of right. Men? Yes. Now, uh, this not to not to do a cheap plug here. But this has kind of been on my mind lately because I am in the ensemble for a community theater production of The Great Gatsby. And that show, of course, is partially about confronting nostalgia and what you saw in your younger years may not be what it was now. Are you at all nervous, Chris, that Dangerous Men is not going to live up to your memories? I don't think so. Um, I'm I'm really intrigued to see like what I have completely forgotten and what seems what plays like a brand new movie again. Like that's that's kind of my hope because. Uh, it's a movie, you know, it's been nearly 10 years since I've seen it. And, uh, so had I, had I seen it more recently, it may, it may be a movie that I could never see for the first time again, but maybe, maybe I can get at least a little bit of that. Well, cause now. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned those 10 years ago because in the 10 intervening years, I think we can both agree that culture has gotten significantly weirder with gifts, <laughs> with memes, with the uh-huh. things you see on Twitter. It's just the sense of humor is decidedly not just quirky, but just flat out bizarre. So I, I halfway wonder if dangerous men, you're going to see it or people who haven't seen it are going to see anything. Yeah, that's that's weird, but it's not going to be the fever acid dream that you it's had not 10 gonna, years it's ago. Not gonna stand. And, and that that might be. But um, and part of that was definitely the crowd like that. That played into, you know, I talked about the band that played before. And did I talk about the the person who just in the middle of the screening yelled out, use the jelly dong? I'm afraid you've met, for, neglected to mention the jelly dong. <laughs> OK, um, well, that that, how you know, there. So there there was definitely something to the atmosphere of it as well. But um, no, I. You know, time will time will tell. We'll see. Um, I I have a feeling we might be talking about it on the show uh, pretty soon. Well, fingers crossed. Um, So speaking of confronting things that you haven't seen forever, one thing that you and I neglected to mention last week during the horror discussion was, are you afraid of the dark? Mm. And I assume that you were a fan. So avid watcher. Here's the thing. I didn't have cable as a kid. I I feel like I I feel like every other episode I bring this up. But uh, sorry to beat a dead horse. But I so it's kind of turned into a therapy session. Yeah. And it all. That's the source of everything. Are you afraid of the dark? I specifically associate with going over to my grandparents' house because they did have cable. And so, like, basically all I would do is watch as much Nickelodeon as I could. And I didn't care what, like, didn't matter what the show was. If it was, you know, a show, if I was 11 and it was a show for, you know, intended for small children, I was watching it because I couldn't see it otherwise. You'd watch Jefferson reruns. I, I, I don't know what Jefferson is, but maybe it's the Jeffersons moving on up. Oh, the, uh, the Jefferson. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Nick at night, whatever. Yeah. Whatever it was, I'd watch it. Um, Are You Afraid of the Dark was one of those things. You know, I, I'm, I was a child who was a little terrified of things as a mm-hmm. kid. Um, and so I don't think I've watched too many episodes, but one that I vividly remember was, I think it was Zebo the clown. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I do. Yes, okay. exactly. Um, you're, you're reaching into my subconscious as well. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that haunted me for a very long time. Well, I bring this up because just a few days ago, uh, there was a GQ article saying top five Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes that could still scare a grown man. So I decided to watch one of them that I had remembered in the fog of memory called uh, the grinning, the grinning ghoul, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I'd remembered as a kid just being absolutely horrifying. And watching, watching it now again, it was meant for children. Not that impressive. It kind of, <laughs> it kind of, it was pretty cheesy, in uh-huh. fact. So in some ways, I'm not sure if I want to continue revisiting. You the, don't, are you, you don't afraid want to destroy your exactly? Terror? I kind of like the idea of it just being really upsetting. So, you, so you're not going to go back to Zebo. I actually, now that you mentioned Zebo, Zebo wasn't one of the five GQ mentions, strangely enough, but I think I might do Zebo because okay. I do remember that. Well, I mean, I feel like a clown is a shoe in though. Uh, you, you know, know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know why it is, but yeah, there's just something inherently terrifying about clowns. Yeah. Speaking of inherently terrifying, uh, beyond getting a, uh, a butt dial call from Chris Gallagher on Halloween, <laughs> uh, I had an... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I, oh, no, not at all. Um, I had an interesting uh, experience. I, I didn't do the uh, the party thing. What I decided to do is take the little lady to the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. Hmm. And do you know much about this? I, I know nothing about the Crescent it Hotel. It is considered the most haunted hotel okay. in the world. Good. Smart, smart idea. Yeah, yeah. Good n- move. Nice romantic move, Hunter. And so anyway, we took the ghost tour at midnight on Halloween night. And I will preface this by saying that it might have been the trout that I had for dinner or the Coke and Jack and Coke that I just had prior to starting the tour. But I kid you not, during the third floor, which is supposedly the most haunted and prepare to roll your eyes, Midnight Warriors, but they say it might be a portal to the next dimension. But on this third floor, I became physically and violently ill to the point where I thought I was going to faint. Hmm. And and. I was in I was in a crowd of ten or so people, and normally I want to try and maintain my composure around strangers. But I kid you not, I sat on the ground and you know tried to compose yeah, yeah. myself and didn't even care if it was embarrassing. And then stood back up, had to do it three times because I just couldn't I I, I couldn't stand. I was so physically uh, bothered. It like I said, I felt like I was going to faint. And apparently, that's fairly common there. Maybe maybe they're pumping in some sort of. Uh, That's what I was thinking. Gas. Is maybe maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe some maybe yeah maybe they're just depriving air. Yeah. Or conversely, probably the most probable thing is that I am a medium. You're you could be a medium. Here's here's the third option. Um, actually, this Crescent Hotel is that what you said it's called? Yes, sir. Is a Bond villain's lair. And that's actually one of the torture chambers. That is that is one of the torture chambers. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I guess there's there's a couple of options, and maybe uh, maybe the Midnight Warriors listening to this have a fourth or fifth or so on and so forth options. But I I prefer to just believe that I am kind of like the little old lady in Poltergeist. Okay, because well, I can communicate with the spirit. We'll see world. what we can do and see if we can get you a, a television contract. You know, like some something midday. That would be perfect. I can be the next John Edwards, not yeah. the present John Edwards, but the uh, right. world's biggest douchebag John Edwards, right. as he was called by South Park. Well, ladies and gentlemen, until my true dream of hosting a show about speaking with spirits comes to four, I'm afraid I'm going to have to stick with War Starts at Midnight. Aww. No, if, no, I'm kidding. I kid. I kid. But we'd like you to stick around as well as we review Spectre coming up next. So what's going on, James? They say you're finished. What do you think? I think you're just getting started. Magnificent, isn't she? Zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds. A few little tricks up her sleeve. Do one more thing for me. What do you have in mind? Make me disappear. Tell me where he is. 
It's everywhere. If you go there, you're crossing over to a place where there is no mercy. You're protecting someone. Get away from me! Why should I trust you? Because right now, I'm your best chance of staying alive. This organization, do you know what it's called? Its name is Spectre. And do you know who links them all? Me. For over half a century, audiences have been watching James Bond vanquish villains, get loaded on libations, and of course, copulate with companions. Spectre marks the 24th film in the 007 franchise, and the fourth for its star Daniel Craig. While the pictures of his predecessors were primarily filled with wisecracking wordplay and outrageously grandiose episodic plots, Craig's movies have taken on a much more serious tone as they work to weave a thread of continuity from one film to the next. Spectre picks up more or less where Skyfall left off. Following the death of Mother M, Bond chases down an ominous lead left by his late boss. It suggests a massive and mysterious conspiracy that naturally only he can solve. At the same time, MI6 is on the verge of a merger with MI5, and the Joint Security Service's new director, Max Denby, is determined to eliminate the 00 program altogether. As Bond digs deeper, he uncovers a massive criminal organization known as Spectre. With the aid of a former Spectre associate's daughter, Madeline Swan, 007 finds that the group and its leader, Franz Oberhauser, are more intimately connected with him than he could have possibly imagined. Hunter, I'm curious. Looking back over Craig's four films, how do you feel about this iteration of Bond? Do you enjoy the austere atmosphere and parallel plots proliferated across multiple movies? Or do you wish Bond and his criminal counterparts would trade in their cyanide capsules and swallow a handful of chill pills? And more importantly, Spectre drops some of the super serious tough guy act in favor of some of that classic Bond camp. I could easily see you loving the added color or hating the disjointed tone. So which is it? Tell me, or I shall be forced to destroy you. Chris, do you want me to answer or do you want me to die? Uh, can it be both? Uh, I guess we'll see. It depends on the degree to which we agree or disagree on the following picture. Okay. Um, I will say this is probably the first time that I will be able to answer both of your questions with a single statement. That being that the Daniel Craig James Bond pictures have been peaks and valleys is how mm -hmm. I describe okay. them. Casino Royale was a peak. Quantum Assault was a valley. Skyfall was a mountain range. And then this Spectre was another valley. And I would say in my opinion, was every bit of, as boring and kind of empty as Quantum of Solace was. I will answer your second question by stating that even though I really liked Skyfall, really liked Casino Royale, thought they were great action pictures, at no point in time have I ever really felt that, the, that Daniel Craig or these movies in general were true Bond, in my really? opinion. No. Are you, I've, I've, do, never, do, I've do, never been a fan of Daniel Craig as an actor and then as James Bond, I've just never felt it, even from the beginning. Now, he hasn't personally won me over. The films have won me over. But okay. they but they still, it, it's more just a good, solid action picture, but it doesn't feel like true, genuine James Bond. So I was more upset by the, uh, upset's too strong a word. I was more disjointed by the disjointed tone than I was happy by the added color, mainly because he's just such a sourpuss. And I don't know if th that may just be him as a person or it may be how he's chosen to play this character. I don't know. But he's such a sourpuss that he can't really add color to it. So what is it about, what is it about Daniel Craig that you don't think works as James Bond? I'm really curious about that. 
Um, well, where do I begin without sounding mean? He's not that attractive. He's not that charming. He's not that charismatic and he's not that funny, but he plays a good tough guy. And I see James Bond as more the former and less the latter. I, I think that's a really interesting, uh, opinion just in the fact that in my opinion, like I feel, I feel almost the exact opposite. Like I feel like Daniel Craig is probably the best bond we've ever had. Um, I mean like, well, you're more familiar with the, you've read a few of the books. I've, I've read, I've read a few of the books. Definitely like from, from the book tone, I think he nails it. Okay. Um, well, and that's but, what they wanted to do in 2006. Having not yeah. read the book, I'm going by the pop culture. Well, but I, I'm going by, I'm going by that as well. Just, just comparing because I, I mean, and I'm in this weird headspace right now. I have just marathoned every single Bond film from start to finish um, with a few, a few flips in between, but um I like getting to Daniel Craig was such a breath of fresh air, particularly coming off of uh, those those last three Pierce Brosnan films. Well, admittedly that 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 series was they almost literally need to have him jump the shark. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that would have made perfect sense in that. And um, so it, it from I can see it being a breath of fresh air from that. But the, watching Spectre and then thinking back to Quantum Solace, that the, both of those movies needed breaths of fresh air, and I don't think he's the one to provide let, it. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you saw Quantum of Solace? Uh, I think right after it came out on DVD. I was okay. still doing Netflix DVDs, so let's say okay. 2010. So that's, that's probably the last time I had seen it until this mm-hmm. marathon, and I was right there with you. Um, and I got to say, watching it back-to-back with Casino Royale, I dug it a lot more. Like it's not, it, it is a movie that still has plenty of problems and it's more like, I guess it's probably more of a, almost like a extended deleted scene sequence mm-hmm. as far as like, because it's really writing on what Casino Royale set up. And so with, as a standalone movie, I don't think it works very well. And there's, it's definitely, I think in my opinion, it's probably the weakest in the, in the Craig series. Right. Um, but I appreciate it more than I thought I possibly could have Um, still some really terrible moments and the actions really bad, but uh, I think it's worth the second shot. So to, to counter your, your argument about Craig, I think, you know, you you said he's, he's not just not a very attractive dude. I think particularly in uh, Casino Royale, they almost make him out to be the, uh, the bond babe, the bond girl, like they over sexualize, him so much in that movie. I mean, like they have him in those, those little tight trunks coming out of the water and it's really supposed to be everyone look at, right. Look at how sexy and, and manly and, and, uh, whatnot this, this bond is. Um, so I, I got to disagree with you there. Let um, just so we can talk folks on Spectre. I'll just, the best way I can sum up my aversion to Daniel Craig as James Bond overall is, and this will come into our special features topic a okay. little bit, but I feel like even within the books and certainly within the movies, James Bond was always meant to be a adolescent fantasy. It's supposed to be what you as a 13-year-old want to be. Um, and, a little and, and, a little bit. I and think I've he's... just never gotten that with Daniel Craig. And mind you, I'm watching as a grown man, not watching as a child. Mm-hmm. But Daniel Craig, I've never really wanted to be that James Bond. He's got he's got too many issues for one. I think that okay. and, he's, and he's just not uh, he's not someone that I would aspire to be. Is, okay, and I think I, th- I think what we're coming at is we want different things out of our bonds. Right. Well, and I'll say this is I can I can appreciate what this series has done as a counterpoint one coming off the Bronson mm-hmm. movies and then the Dalton and Roger Moore before that because that was just 
total drifting into silliness. Yeah, yeah. But and I, I can see that this is a modern Bond. Maybe that's what we needed. But we've had our fun with it, and I'm I'm ready to go back to what it was. Okay, not so, not quite so that Spectre, silliness. Spectre squarely. You're not you're not buying this. Where do you where do you put it in comparison to the other three? The other three. Uh, well, like I said, um, I thought Casino Royale was great. I thought Skyfall was magnificent. Uh, Quantum of Solace was boring, and then I felt that this likewise was okay. Where, where does it stack up against Quantum of Solace in your memory? Uh, I would almost say worse, honestly. Well, really? never mind. Okay. I fell asleep during Quantum of Solace. Uh, <laughs> this, this I did not fall asleep at, okay. but it was close. Okay. Um, I so I kind of I kind of dug this movie. Like coming out of it, I was almost. Well, where do you place it to the other three? Uh, I'm I'm still trying to figure that out. Definitely below Casino Royale and Skyfall. Um, those two, I kind of battle back and forth. I feel like I feel like Casino Royale is probably my favorite overall of any Bond film. Period. All right. Um, but. Every time I watch Skyfall, it just jumps up more and more. It's it's really good. Even even if like the middle uh, middle second act is is a little goofy and derivative, like Skyfall's great. Uh, this it's a weird like I felt I felt dizzy walking out of the theater is probably the best way to describe it because on the one hand it's doing what we've come to expect from Daniel Craig. Um, it's it is pretty pretty serious in tone for the most part. But as it goes on, it gets goofier and goofier and starts to starts to lean into that old like more camp. More, well, and maybe we saw maybe that. and maybe more is is too strong. Maybe it's more Connery. Well, we saw that drift into at towards the end of Skyfall and the the indications that Skyfall, okay, this is where it gets yeah, back that, to Bond is Bond. Mm-hmm. And so it leaks into this picture. And so the consequence is that if you're going to be campy as it were then i think that there's a more delicate way to handle it what happened here is it it, it mixed up the tones to the point so that you, you don't really know what the movie wanted to be you felt it just smashing together i don't I, honestly coming out of it both not just the tone mm-hmm. but then the action sequences the storyline all of the above this just seemed like a very confused movie i don't <laughs> i don't know what the 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 filmmakers wanted out of it okay. for lack of better words oh, what do you what do you think about the train fight with I, that okay i will take that that is the i'm glad you brought that up that was probably the only part i liked i thought that that was incredibly intense this is one of the only times not just in the film but in the entire series where I thought that James Bond was completely in over his head and I didn't know how he was going to get out of it. So I really dug that part. I, I, I thought it was a very like coverage might've been a little tight for my taste, but I thought it was executed really well. The, uh, I don't know if you noticed, like when it starts out, there's zero music or score or anything. And it's just as fully. So you just hear, hear, you know, the train tracks and then, they're, you know, hitting each other and clothes moving, that sort of thing. And it's only as Bond begins to lose that then slowly the score comes in. And I thought that was a really nice touch. Well, let's talk to- about uh, Batista a little bit here. Do you think that having gone through all the pictures in one marathon session, how would he rank next to, say, an odd job or a Jaws? Do you think that he is in the upper echelon of Bond henchmen? Um, I think that's what they're going for. I don't think so. Odd job. Um, Oddjob's one that I kind of am torn with because on the one hand, um, he's a fun character. On the other hand, he's sort of a marginalized uh, henchman. Whereas Jaws, I think, is when more, you now. When, what do you mean by marginalized? Um, it's it's that like, oh hey, I'm you know, it's it's what Goldfinger, I believe. They're all like, it's they're all beginning to run together. Mm-hmm. He now, well, I, like he's not incidental to the plot. He just shows up. Well, and it, throws I, his hat. I mean, I mean more. It's like. It, it's like, hey, I'm I'm this rich white dude, and here's my valet, <laughs> who happen he never speaks, 
and but he's really strong and can throw a hat and decapitate a statue. Perfect. Um, so it's that that's a little I mean, and particularly with everything surrounding what's going on with the Connery bonds at that point, like it feels a little like, oh, mystic, mystic man from the east right. who, you know, and then Jaws, I feel like is a little more. I mean, we're we're falling in more camp, which is, I mean, neck and neck with Brosnan as far as. Uh, being the most outrageous, ridiculous yeah. uh, stuff, and uh, Jaws, I kind of, I kind of like for for the more films. Like, I think the character is ridiculous. I did like when that uh, Dave Batista character first. I think his name is Hinks. First shows up in um, the Spectre meeting. I like my immediate thought was, and he's got these razor blades for thumbs. Um, I thought, okay, this is, they're going for a Jaws style. Right. Um, I don't know if he like. Doesn't really live up to that promise. Yeah. Time, time will tell if they do more with him. Like it, it seems like the type of character that they would bring back. And so maybe he will grow on an audience, but um, he's okay. I think, I think I would put him if, if we're putting him in like an echelon, I think I'd put him right below, you know, an odd job or a Jaws. But well, that is what they're going for. I, well, and and I think the Batista's Hinks character, the the new henchman, as it mm-hmm. were, is kind of a solid analogy for what I think went wrong with this film. Is it, it is very much a Daniel Craig James Bond picture in the darkness and the somberness and then the backstory. But at the same time, they want to reflect on the old pictures, but it never has that charm. See, I I think Daniel Craig is such a good actor that he actually gets away with the one-liners that Roger Moore never could have delivered right. properly. Like one of my biggest problems with the Moore movies is he says the like he'll say these outlandish things and he doesn't even try to convince you of it. Like there's always how did this, he get a knighthood? Is what I don't I, I don't understand. know. I guess I don't know. One like of those he, years. he seems he seems like a good enough guy. Yeah, but He's I mean, just, is this truly who the British uh, the British Empire <laughs> wants to recognize as one of their great artists? But like every every time Moore gets a, a one liner, and in his films, it's like it's like a punchline in a Chuck Lorre show. Like mm-hmm. it's just like it seems like it comes every fifteen seconds. Like he he pauses, almost kind of winks the camera, and then his eyes get real big, and he's like ah, and he like just completely, you know, draws your attention to it where Craig downplays the one liner so well, even like, I mean, here he Skyfall, you're right. Like particularly that third act when basically from the Aston Martin forward, they're having a lot of fun and he's got, you know, he's got a few uh, bits, but he downplays it to a point that I think works better than any. Well, then, well then maybe it's just poor writing. Cause again, I, I don't, there, I don't feel there like this definitely, movie knew what it wanted I, to I be. don't, I, I agree with you there. I think, I think the writing of the, and if you look, I think it was, I believe this is correct. I think somebody wrote the script, the two guys that always doctor them up mm-hmm. who, and have since, I can't remember their names, but have since the Brosnan films doctored it up. And then it looks like somebody else came back and did even more. Well, exactly. I don't know how many people were involved in it, but whenever they did the the screen tag of who wrote it, mm-hmm. it had about it was, four. It was four screen, it, it, it's four folks. And but it's, a story so by. And so I cringed when I saw yeah, that. Yeah. There's, and there's always going to be three because there's the two guys that doctor everything mm-hmm. and then whoever and then and then it, whoever yeah. like wrote it um like for instance Paul Haggis wrote right. uh, Quantum of Quantum Solace Sauce. which is a good like I mean just watching that that credit like sends a chill up your spine um and yeah this is this is kind of that I think um it's yeah it it has some problems with with story and structure and uh but I think there's also something with connecting it to the others that I wonder if once all the dust settles and this is all done because I think there's actually, there's foreshadowing in this movie. There's foreshadowing in the title sequence of this movie that they haven't gotten to yet. 
And so you don't think he's done? You think there will be at least another? Well, contractually, he's got one more. Okay. And just judging by, and you know, if if the Bond films weren't fresh in my mind, I probably might not have made these connections. But there are things, there are direct homages to the old movies. Like it almost feels like what they're trying to do is they're trying to take the their favorite bits or the best bits from the past Bonds, the past twenty film. I mean, really, probably more the Connery and maybe more and a little bit of, you know, a little bit of salt and pepper here and there. there. Um, But take the best parts and make the single ultimate bond story. So they're, they're bringing back inspector, which is a big part of the, the Connery movies and of uh, honor Majesty's secret service, which is sort of a weird one-off in between the, uh, the fifth and sixth Connery film. And, um, I, uh, there are things that, I mean, there's a lot of actually, there's a whole lot of homage to Honor Majesty's Secret Service um, throughout this, like where uh, Madeline Swan works is, looks very close to uh, the facility that he spends a lot of time in, in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. It's this, you know, building on a hill. And you know how I feel about, you know, homage and that that sort of winkiness. Um, it It doesn't totally work for me, but I don't think they're done with what they're building out either. So well, then let's let's look at it this way. If if they're trying to build, as you argue and I agree, the kind of quintessential this is a James Bond series that incorporates the best of of, yeah. of modern tastes and then also classic Bond. Do you think that that's anti-character and antithetical to the character? Um cuz I kind of feel that James Bond should just continue keep going, well, keep going and there shouldn't I, ne- there shouldn't necessarily be trying to regurgitate past success. I I agree to an extent, but if you go back and look, I mean, the thing with the Bond canon as a whole is there's, it's so, it's so filled with holes of like, there's a good, there's a really good one here or there, but there's a whole lot of filler too. Well, and then and, in that regard, the Daniel Craig series is in my, if that's in, since that is indeed the case. But, it, but if you ways, hold, but the, if you hold those up, if you hold the worst of Craig up to uh, the worst of anyone else, they're just Far and beyond. Well, I met. Well, I mean, I imagine Dalton and Roger Moore would be a different circumstance. But at least Dalton's Dalton's not as bad as people make him out to be. I I think he he, he just seems like he doesn't care. Just the pick. Just from what I've seen of him, it looks like he doesn't really want to be there. It's it's more. He's too serious. I think is is more the like you you know people complain about Craig being super serial. Dalton's even more next level serious. But But here's the thing: is early on we were. Whenever we were talking about uh, uh, Odd Job, mm-hmm. just describing it brought a smile to my face. Yeah. Whereas I can't really describe that with anything in, in the present James Bond series. And to me, if you're going to be not the Home Alone uh, third act of not, Macaulay Culkin, uh, well, like except, well, okay, except for maybe Skyfall. <laughs> but the point being is that this series is just so dark and so dour and so devoid of of kind of the lightness mm-hmm. of what I've come to associate with the James Bond character that. I'm wondering not just with Inspector, but I'm just wondering what they want out of this. I think I think time will tell, and I think we'll see if they can stick the landing because it really. I mean, honestly, it seems like they have a full, almost an arc like a like a TV show season plotted out uh, for this, and right. so I think you know it'll be interesting to see if as a whole that actually lifts up um, some of the lesser films and not not makes them you know better, but not makes them great, but makes them. At least, you know, it's kind of like in the middle of a television season when you have those couple episodes that are just really kind of 
lacking, well, but they at least bridge yeah, to lost the next. Yeah, Lost fans will get this reference, but fortunately they haven't done an episode where James Bond gets his tattoo. A flashback episode where James Bond gets his tattoo. So sure. it hasn't it hasn't sure, descended man. into that level of nonsense. Um, but hopefully, according if you know, according to the Peaks and Valleys theory, up next, the fifth, maybe the final uh, Daniel Craig picture, that should be magnificent. So, but, me, I, but I feel like this picture specter just, it really didn't do a whole lot for me. So let me ask you this, Christoph Waltz, does he do anything for you? Here's as the thing the about guy? Christoph Waltz is he's so good that if he's not being challenged, you're still going to enjoy him. And mm-hmm. he, I feel like he was just cashing a check here and he, really, but he was, I, but he was still good. Totally agree. Well, it does. It feels like he's kind of phoning it in. I don't know anything, what he's trying to do. Anything that's not Quentin Tarantino, and we'll get into that later, but anything that's not Quentin Tarantino, it feels like he's phoning it in. Yeah. I, I think there's there's a real missed mark on casting him as a Bond villain. And because, I mean, ultimately, you cast Christoph Waltz as a Bond villain, you want some Bond villain shit happening. I mean, as far as like over the top, really. And he doesn't really like they, they give him a little bit of that to play with, but he doesn't really bite. I well, feel well. It's so some of the stuff in this is the movie in general. But some of the stuff was over the top, but it was done in a serious way, and so it just mm-hmm. again the disjointed tone that bothered me throughout the picture. Are you ready to get into a little bit of spoilerage? I I am ready. Let's let's throw up the warning from here on. Spoilers for Spectre. Let me. Can I set it up real quick? Go by all for, means for just okay. So I I have a pitch to you for the plot of Spectre. So it's it's a pretty big bloated story. Um, and you have basically you have two stories. You have the whole MI6, MI5 surveillance, like real world sort of um, which you right, which the the real world surveillance kind of analogy, which it seems like every other action movie is well, doing now. It, 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 and, and it's weird because I it honestly watching watching them all through very close. It seems like they've been setting up this whole surveillance thing from the beginning, like Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, maybe less in Skyfall. But you they draw your attention to the fact that Bond is being watched by surveillance cameras all the time, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's. So on the one hand, it's sort of how could they have been that pressing it in knowing that this, you know, they couldn't have known that Edward Snowden and all. See, of this I, I, I completely I completely disagree with you on there because you were seeing that kind of stuff happen in Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. In many ways, okay. I think that's kind of a Patriot Act thing. And then that's, it's just the world's, yeah, yeah. Continu- the world's continue to go and in that's, that direction. And, and there was there was a very Patriot Act sort of tone. It's, to all it's of that. more of an anti-Patriot Act thing. And then, like I said, the Edward Snowden. Mm-hmm. uh Julian Assange. Yeah. It's just the world hasn't changed. The world is not enough, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what if instead of trying to ground it in a reality with all of that stuff, because really like that takes up a good portion of this movie and I don't feel like it does too, too much. You know, it's just, it's preaches, just, just preaches. It's, and it's just it saying out. like, doesn't this seem familiar? And, and, um, <laughs> What if instead of that, they just focused on Spectre and Franz Oberhauser and his transition into, spoilers, Blofeld? I'm not trying to be snide when I say this, but I would have liked it more if only because it would have made it a lot shorter. It would have made it about 30 minutes to 45 minutes shorter. Yeah. As much as I like Ray Fiennes and Naomi Harris's Money Penny and then Ben Wishaw, I believe, yeah, yeah. as Q, that just, it was just really dragging the picture out and not doing anything. Yeah, well, it it it, it wasn't doing anything. And I, still, it doesn't, and it I doesn't, still don't understand the connection that Blofeld had with C. What do you it, mean? Well, it was just, oh, so they knew each other. He was working for him. It, I, that was never. I think, I think what it is is that C is, he was hungry for, um, 
information and power and that sort of thing. And Spectre has been dealing in um, information, right? Like they're they are a underground it, as you know they they seem to have multiple they're the tentacles anti, in yeah things. exactly that they're, they're the anti MI six insofar as they're kind of a intelligence organization only for evil doing for well for the collecting collecting and selling to the highest bidder right. I think they've even said that in the past when when we didn't realize that it was Spectre all along so that's I mean okay. ultimately everything leading up to this that, has been Spectre related that drives me nuts did you ever see Spider Man three no okay absolutely it, not. okay in Spider Man three I'll use this as an analogy in Spider Man three. It turns out that Sandman actually killed Uncle Ben, not the criminal. I hate it whenever a sequel undermines the emotion and the arc of earlier pictures. I I don't know if it does, though. Well, but all of a sudden, Mads Milkinson, Casino Royale, and then Javier Bardem in Skyfall, all of a sudden they're less evil and less independent if they're working, if they're employees of Blofeld, so to speak, if they're part of that large organization. Mads Milkinson's undermined by the end of Casino Royale, though. Like when, I know, when but, Mr. But, White but, shoots but him I like square it in the being, head. But I like it being within one consolidated story, particularly with the uh, Javier Bardem. What made him so scary was his independence. His, and now okay. all of a sudden he's a subsidiary to another villain who's far less impressive. But do you, okay, let me, I, I kind of see it as, because I watched Skyfall again last night for the first time since uh, uh, seeing mm-hmm. uh, Spectre. And I kind of... I, I don't see him as an agent of Spectre, more as an associate of Spectre. Um, and that and and with that, that explains some of the things that I thought were kind of ridiculous with Bardem's character, particularly in that second act where suddenly he's getting he's got an army. He's got, Yeah, exactly. He's got this army of people who can get him cop cars and get him everything. When you say, oh, well, Spectre is at his mm-hmm. at his side to help him get all these things. then it actually makes a lot more sense. So I don't think he's an agent of Spectre. I think he's. I guess a free agent working with the aid of Spectre, um, but still connected into that. But that at the web. same time, I mean, I, yeah, I can I can buy that and I can agree with that. But at the same time, that kind of undermines his his his, his sinisterness. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? He seems like again, he's less independent. He's less a rogue agent and more. It's no longer he's an employee of MI6. He's now working with Spectre. And again, I think the point I want to reiterate the point is just Blowfield in this. One, Christoph Waltz playing him, and two, the villain. You would want that to be a top-notch, yeah, uh, absolute greatest it, all-time villain, and he's not, not as impressive it as was, it Javier was, Bardem it was. Pretty, it was pretty low-key for, yeah. for a Blofeld character. And you know, maybe we'll get more of him, and maybe he'll he'll warm up a little bit. But like, it was... It, it was it was pretty underwhelming, and I but I wonder if had they had the time to develop it instead of just like cramming it in the second half of the movie because they spend so much time on the surveillance stuff up front. Right? Would would it have been a little better? But even then, Waltz doesn't doesn't you know carry us away with it in the way that you know I, I really feel he could have. Well, let's let's also ask this: Do you think that there was anything to be gained by address it, by handling it the way they did? I was thinking of Star Trek Into Darkness, wherever everyone suspected yeah. it was Khan, and they even went so far as to say, hey, is this Khan? And then J.J. Abrams but that's danced J. J. Abrams, around it, yeah. danced around it. This wasn't quite that degree, but at the mm-hmm. same time, whenever he finally said, my name is now Blofeld, it felt like him. Um, it, it, it felt like that again. And so I, I halfway wonder, why didn't they just in the in the marketing say, hey, it's Blofeld, come see this? I, yeah, I marketing-wise, I don't know. But from a does it bother does it bother you just on the whole that he's Blofeld at all? No, not really. Okay. Now, uh, now, as I recall, Blofeld wasn't James Bond's 
quote unquote brother. Did that bug you? Because um, I don't think that was. In well, the he's, he's not his quote unquote brother. He's his, he, he has a really. And I so this is the thing that I can't remember. I think in the books they have a connection. And I think because I think that's actually where the whole Dr. Evil James Bond or I'm sorry, Dr. Evil Austin Powers having Michael Caine as their father mm-hmm. comes from. Like, I think that's actually. So that's uh, legit. I, I yeah, I, I believe so. And I could be, you know, if, if I'm wrong and you're out there and you, you know, the answer, please email us. Well, then what's but, interesting about all that is maybe these Daniel Craig pictures are more honorific of the books. And mm-hmm. so me and I think most a lot of the culture is just so attuned to the James Bond of the films, which were actually probably play or not plagiarizing, but sacrilegious to the books that they're, they're their you own know what I mean? things. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah the, and so this is trying to be more like the books. And so based on my James Bond education is where I just mm-hmm. prefer the classic Connery, which might have been, as that's, I said, sacrilegious in the yeah, first and, place. But that's, that's kind of what I like about this is the fact that we're not just getting another Connery. Like, and I'm mm-hmm. excited to see, like, once they're done with Craig, I hope they take it a totally different direction. Absolutely. I hope they, you know, and, and not necessarily just saying taking it back to camp, but explore something that they haven't explored. Like, I think that's what I like most about this series beyond it, you know, being, you know, closer to some of the, the tone of the books, but also being, something that says, Hey, you can do other things with James Bond than just have like, okay, well, we'll have a cold open and we'll have a title sequence and then we'll have a briefing and then we'll have the gadgets and then we'll have globe trotting. Well, I think that speaking of globe trotting, I think that is as good of entry into our special features as we're going to get, but that'll be a little bit before we get a non Daniel Mm -hmm. Craig picture. So in the interim, whenever you see Spectre again, what will you be drinking, and will it be shaken or stirred? Uh, I would recommend you do not shake or stir this recommendation. Uh, so in preparing for uh, recommending something for Spectre, I was trying to think on what, you know, he's he's a martini guy generally. Um, uh, vodka martinis in the movies, although initially it was a sort of the Vesper martini that he makes in the Casino Royale book is actually a mix of gin and vodka and I think some wine. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't recommend cocktails. I recommend beers. And so I have one that, uh, I think is going to work for, for a couple of reasons. One, since at least Pierce Brosnan, for some reason, uh, Bond has been drinking Heineken, Mm -hmm. which I don't understand. It's a, it's a skunky ass beer. It's a disgusting beer. Um, and so I was fully prepared to, you know, coming off of before seeing it, there was quite a bit of backlash and saying like, Oh, this is, this is James Bond at his, or this is Daniel Craig at his worst James Bond trying to do a Roger Moore thing and totally failing. And so I was like, okay, we're just going to recommend Heineken because Heineken's terrible and James Bond that, yeah. drinks it. Um, and I didn't hate it. Like I didn't love this movie, but I didn't hate it highly. Like I definitely recommend it. I think it's worth seeing in the theater. It's, it's got enough fun for that in my opinion. And so I'm going to recommend a beer by Lagunitas, which recently sold a, half share stake to Heineken basically for their international distribution. Um, so still, still a little connection. So it's, there. Still, it's kind of a, the specter. It's kind of a, Heineken <laughs> yeah, they're, the they're actually, organization. they're actually building the specter of, of beers right now yes. as we speak. And, and, and tuna surveillance, they're getting us all drunk. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so this beer, it's called little something, something, and it's, uh, it's classified as a pale weed ale, but it's an extremely hoppy pale weed ale. Um, so it also has has that sort of hybrid that we're dealing with here. And, you know, it it drinks kind of like a forgiving IPA, like it's definitely got that that hot profile. But I think 
I think this is something you could drink, uh, Hunter, and enjoy. Do you? I mean, do you like a wheat beer? Do you like? A, I do. Yes. Okay. Um, this this might be an entry point into like like a halfway point between wheat beers and IPAs. It definitely has has some hops, but it's not. Uh, it's not going to roundhouse kick you. No, in it's the not, face. and it's and it's not going to linger either. So it's it's a nice, good, uh, smooth bodied um, sort of beer with, but with a bit of an aggressive hoppy profile. Um, and so I, I think it's a, it's sort of a perfect pair here. It's, it's a little disjointed in what it wants to be. <laughs> and, and so kind of perfect for the specter. Uh, that's a little something, something from Lagunitas. Well, there you have it, folks. Spectre is currently playing in secret layers everywhere. Chris kind of did like the picture. I kind of didn't. So that means that you are going to have to come down the middle and say, is it kind of good or kind of not good? Please tell us your 007 reasons that you like or dislike Spectre at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Stick around as we'll be back after the break to discuss the James Bond series and for your ears only. I never was much for small talk. Born with a heart that felt heavy as stone. But I still love the sound of laughter. It's the sound of hope keeping us alive. In his 1962 review of Dr. No, Bosley Crowther of the New York Times said, quote, Of course it's nonsense. Pure escapist bunk, with Bond, an elegant fellow, doing everything and everybody that an idle daydreamer might like to do. Bosley Crowther, who sounds like a Bond villain, truly hit the nail on the head, or rather put the crosshairs on the spy, succinctly setting the stage for 007's cinematic staying power. Yes, James Bond was born in the books, but he was meant for the movies. Colorful villains, outlandish gadgets, exotic locales, wry one-liners, and of course, beautiful Bond girls. What's not to love? Or maybe more accurately, to envy. 007 endures because he delivers escape. He does what other men can merely dream of doing, both in his adventures and his conquests. There's no other way around it. Bond endures because of sex. He is a totem of unapologetic masculinity, etched in our collective cultural subconscious like Superman or the strong and silent cowboy. But unlike those characters, James Bond is not paternal. He is carnal, sensual, and perhaps even archaic. That probably sounds strange to say. After all, based on his global box office performance, James Bond has never been more popular. Yet the masculine ideal he represents, violent heroism meets virile heterosexuality, seems increasingly passe in a present day marred by moral and sexual ambiguity. So it begs the question, is our favorite secret agent antiquated? Does James Bond have a future in film? Or, paradoxically, will Bond's popularity continue to blossom as an antidote to our culture's growing sexual confusion? Chris, this question is for your eyes only. We know that diamonds are forever, 
So will tomorrow never die for the spy who loved me? Or, in this ever-changing world in which we live in, should James Bond give in and cry, saying live and let die? Wow. <laughs> let me Thank let me you. just let me just applaud you first for for that stream of ridiculousness. Yes, not only a James Bond reference but a Paul McCartney reference, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I you I, might say you might say I am the man with the Midas touch. I have a gold finger. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um so if I if I hear you correctly, what you're asking me is why do, why do we need James Bond anymore? Is that is that what you're getting at? Not or, necessarily. Or, why do we need? Do we think? Do you think that? And again, this may sound strange because I'm sure this picture will do very well. Skyfall is the highest grossing of the series. Do you think that James Bond being both ultra violent and then kind of not just promiscuous, but also almost sexist in a way, the way in which he conquers Bond oh, girls? Do you yeah. think that the character is? antiquated and he will eventually fade into the fade I into think, obscurity okay so watching watching the marathon of them the biggest problem i had from movie to movie was the conquest was the way that um just how lazy it is in many well, ways it's yeah and and just just as soon as you think maybe it's getting a little better like i mean like for instance in goldeneye um Pierce Brosnan denies sex with Anna Vatop or what are you, the um, the the one character Tom K Jensen that one yeah the the one character who um, seems to be in a Roger Moore movie and doesn't realize that Roger Moore is no longer around right. um, he denies sex with her and I was like oh this is this is great we're really like we're really making some progress then I go on to the next Brosnan ones and it's just like every other scene is just like him in bed with anonymous woman who. Has no face, no relate. Like well, it's just like let's see your butt cheeks, and then or move conversely, on. it's even worse. Where they cast Denise Richards as a nuclear physicist with a PhD, uh, Christmas Jones, I think her yeah. name was. One, you're not going to buy her as that character, but two, just James. She, so I thought, I thought she was the worst, uh, the worst Bond girl, like hands down, until we got to Halle Berry, um, who ironically probably the most famous and accomplished of all the Bond girls, yeah, and yet just doesn't doesn't do anything with those. I mean, and granted, she's given like Die Another Day is a Batman and Robin level terrible script, so it's it almost actually works on a like how the hell did anyone greenlight this sort mm -hmm. of way, uh, but she's really bad and given nothing to do. I mean, she is she's still on on the whole, you know, she's given more lines and a little bit more. Uh, you know, to uh, to do in in the film, but really, she's she's more a conquest than anything else. Well, it's at the risk of sounding antiquated myself, that is part of I would say James Bond's classic classic James Bond appeal is he is yeah. like I said a second ago, he is the adolescent male fantasy, yeah. and and so, I would say that that is an unfortunate trait. Of well, the character. do you think that if we start to shave away some of those traits and may modernize him, that he will cease to be James Bond and then just become action hero number at Jason Bourne part two? Um, I, I don't know. It's like, uh, it, it's an interesting question because, and I, and one that I think the series right now is actually trying to address. Like, I mean, and, I, and, it, and I'm, and yeah, and trying's the key word because I'm not sure they're succeeding. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I think the, that speech that M gives whenever she in Skyfall, whenever she's being, um, you know, held at like, what did, what did she say at the stocks at noon? Mm -hmm. Um, where she's basically saying, you know, you say that it's just this and that. And basically she's doing a thesis for why does James Bond as a character, as a movie franchise need to exist anymore right. in the land of the Bourne movies and that sort of thing. And I think she very eloquently, 
um, explains why she thinks we still need him um, and, and why we need him in the modern era. Um, the, one of the things that I have really liked about Craig's movies that has been regressing a little bit and kind of bothers me is he's pretty asexual as, as James Bond. I mean, it's, um, I think in, gosh, I, I had, I took notes on basically when he, when he finally beds a woman in each of We need, need to have a spreadsheet. And, that sounds like an info, infographic. Somebody and, needs well, to make. you know, I'm, I'm going through like that. That's the thing is there's so many things that are, uh, very, um, just by the numbers, paint by numbers with, with these. So it's kind of like, okay, at what point do we get Q's gadgets? At what point mm-hmm, do we get? Right. And so, um, his, I mean, most of them are even, even to Skyfall, um, it's nearly an hour before any sex in Skyfall. But, and, but here's the thing is not just the frequency. I would say, I think the average, and you probably know better than I, but I think the average is about three females per movie. Uh, maybe for Roger Moore. <laughs> Well, I remember some of the Pierce Brosnan ones. They was getting to about Brosnan was yeah. two to three, I would say. <laughs> two, two, two. I would say but, more. Uh, but, but it's not just the frequency and when it occurs, but just the the manner ease, in which the ease of it. Because right. even in Skyfall, I think he just he met somebody at a bar, and then the very that, next time okay, he just wanders really, into a that, shower and with that, her, and that is the first troubling sex scene I think in the Craig franchise because <laughs> she is a like they've just established they've just met and they've established that. She has this tattoo on her wrist that means that she was part of like a, a sex trade, essentially, like a, perhaps part of a, Spectre, a, a house. Well, uh, yeah, I was I was discussing yeah. this with a buddy, and maybe maybe not. Yeah, Spectre Spectre has an involvement with with the sex trade, but so he's established that like from the time she was probably like eleven or twelve, mm-hmm. um, she was sold into the sex trade, and so uh he's like, I need I need to meet your boss, take me to him, and she's like, okay, meet me on this uh meet me on this boat. And the next time they, they see each other, he's walking into the shower with her. <laughs> like that is, there is, I, I have a major problem with that. But if, if you go back to like, even Quantum of Solace, for instance, there's this okay, kind of bad boat chase. Um, and he's got, uh, Olga, I can't think of her, uh, or I, I can't pronounce her last name. Yeah. The, the Bond girl right. in, in Quantum of Solace. He's got her with him, um, by, by the end and she's like knocked out. Roger Moore would definitely take her back to the room and nurse her to health just so that he could take her to bed. Well, he, and, and likewise, she would she would be watching she, it. She, she would, would. Well, she would she would say she would say, oh, no. And then as soon as she gets a open eyed, open mouth kiss from him, which happens a few times. Okay, but in, in Spectre, the, spoiler within, alert, isn't that just as bad as what happened with Monica Bellucci? Terrible. Yeah, absolutely terrible. And that and that's what that's what I mean by regression. Like mm-hmm. he but in, in the boat sequence, he comes off. She's knocked out and he just throws her into somebody's arm and says uh, she got seasick. Deal with her and walks off mm-hmm. like and I love that. I love that because it makes by pulling back the the set because it's not like he doesn't get the the love scenes right he just has to earn them and so I, I think some of them maybe. well but what my what I'm trying to get at is I think you can pull it back where it's not just every woman is a conquest for him and still have a sex scene and make it make it actually worth more because he earns it and because right. he has to try to make a connection with the woman and then because that's what that's what was so i think emotionally connecting with Vesper dying in Casino Royale is they didn't just they didn't just meet and 
and go know, at it. Like, yeah. Like they, you know, Pierce Brosnan would have just on that train, they would have done it. Well, but here's the thing though, is hasn't that been how most of the movies have been is there's one, one or two who are <laughs> blind conquest and then one he has to earn. Hasn't that always been the case? Not, not as much as you would think. Like a lot of times it's like, it, like, or, or the earning it is literally like he walks into a room and she's like, oh no. Or also I'm, we're or, probably going to get in trouble by saying earning it. Cause it makes it sound like it's right. currency or something like that. Right. The point being is that it, it's the, the um, difference between him just coming in and that being that, and right. then them actually no, having Sh- an Sean, emotional. Sean Connery legitimately in Thunderball in the opening of Thunderball legitimately exploits a woman for sex. Basically says, if you don't have sex with me, I'm going to talk to your boss and you're going to get fired. That and it's just that is a problem. Yeah, um, and that's that's very madman esque. Yeah, very. Uh, yeah, it, and it's and that's the like. I think it's interesting. You know, you bringing up the mores and how. Um, you know, it, it, does he does he still work as we seem to get less and less of the the free spirited sex? It's you know, it's kind of interesting that recently Playboy has announced that they're no longer going to put nudes in the magazine. Right. Um, whereas Roger Moore's uh, James Bond was a member of the Playboy Key Club, like very much like I think I think there's a uh, there's a real connection there in just the the way society viewed sex um, at the time of those those movies. And, you know, it's it does not give you the perspective of the women at all, which is a giant problem. But so would, would it be fair to say that your opinion about it, at least as regards to James Bond and the conquest, because, again, that's a huge part of the character. Yeah. yeah. That he is somewhat evolving with the times, but it is not a it is a rough transition. It's it, a it rough a, evolution, it, it's but a, it's still happening. It's a rough transition. And just every time I think like, OK, they finally got it right. They seem to then go back and like the Monica Belushi um, character, like that sex scene, which was, is as egregious as any, I was, would say. Was, well, only I would, I would say it's only not the, the action itself as far as like how they get to the sex is as egregious as any. I appreciate at least the fact that they don't give you a pillow talk scene. <laughs> they like, it's, it's almost like game of Thrones sex position. The way right. that, the way that it plays out, totally they unearned, have to hit some sort totally of quota. Un, yeah, totally unnecessary. But at least you don't get like the hearse just barely wrapped in a sheet afterwards and trying to just be like, oh hey, look, you're going to see a little more thigh. Like it's, and, and that's not to say that it's good, but um, there's at least. Well, minor, minor it bit sounds of like it, and actually this kind of it explains Spectre to me in many ways, but it sounds like it was just hitting the hitting the beats so much going through the motions. And yeah. so, well, we have to have more. They, it's almost like they saw the screams like there's only one sex scene here. What mm-hmm. the hell's wrong with you? OK, well, let's add mm-hmm. this one right here. Well, and at least the second sex scene in Spectre, it's maybe, you know, I, I have a bit of a problem with it happening with that one happening as quickly as it does. As well, well, the implication of it was that they were both aroused by killing somebody. Well, or it, it, potentially there's, there's, killing a, somebody. there's there's a heightened uh, uh, emotional state. Yeah. And, and so they. What do they do? They get carnal um, as as a result, which um, I don't know. I, that one, that one, I'm going to say lands somewhere in the middle. Like it's it's certainly not as bad as some. It's certainly not as like I don't feel like it's not like uh, it's not like the sex scene with Vesper where it feels like this is really an emotional connection mm-hmm. and and they're trying to use it to say that they have now made an emotional connection. Um, so. I don't know. I don't know. That, maybe, that that, maybe that's what violent people, that's the emotional connection that violent people uh, share. Maybe. All right. Um, so a couple other things that, that are somewhat antiquated about the Bond series. 
is the violence. Now, mm-hmm. it may sound strange given that we're so enveloped in violence in film and TV, but at the same time, the violence in James Bond has usually been very over the top. Do you think that that can continue into the future, or do you think it's going to have to be more grounded? I think so. I think, uh, you know, I think the Craig movies have been a bit of a mixed bag. I think the the action in Quantum of Solace, as I, as I said before, is a problem. It's a, it, it feels so derivative of Bourne, um, as you absolutely, as you yeah alluded to and um really not great stuff but i think uh i think the and action, i'm sorry you said overall or just well I, i'm saying like it, it's spotty like i think <laughs> i think quantum of solace is a pretty born sort of action i think casino royale before it is a pretty like there's there's not a whole lot of violence in action there's there's more than actually i i recalled going back and yeah and watching it but it's uh, the coverage is pretty darn good. The the parkour scene um, early on is probably the only thing that I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this feels pretty, pretty dated. Speaking of words that I can't hear without bringing a smile to my face because it's so <laughs> absurd, parkour. See, how dare we talk about society advancing beyond Bond whenever things like parkour are happening? <laughs> we're, at, we're not evolving at all. Let's get straight. But the – so, for instance, in um, the opening of Spectre, the – to like – kind of an analog to that parkour scene, we get this really long single take at the very, like the very first shot of, of Spectre is this long single take that did nothing for me. Um, it, and the, which then leads to this extreme violence or this extreme destruction really in, in, you know, a crowded city, which um, feels a little over the top. It feels like they could have handled that a little more delicately. And well, so those thing- things, don't don't totally work. For One me. thing is is the series is not just Daniel Craig, but the series has always been Man of Steel esque insofar as supposedly he's trying to save the world, but yet how many people are getting hurt in the yeah. in the process? Well, it depends on in the in the movie address that a little bit, but in, in almost a casual way. That mm-hmm. oh, by the way, you might have really hurt. Some I people mean, back I think there. like, but you you look at Skyfall. I think the stakes are set properly there, right? Where it's not you know you have the bombing of MI six, but that is a terrorist attack. You have these embedded agents being taken out, but that is a, a part of this whole play. You know, that's not, that's not a consequence of James Bond being just, you know, kind of reckless. And I think you get a little more recklessness out of James Bond in, in this most recent film. So that that's, you know, that, that whole ebb and flow regression thing, like just when I think they're getting the right feel it, it they, they they move it back. I'd the, halfway like to see some consequences for his actions because it seems like in every single James Bond movie, in some well, form or fashion, it's always, "Geez, James, did you really have to do all anytime, that?" Anytime You're, there's consequences, it's just like, "Well, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing." Now. Yeah, and they're it erased seems. by the end of the picture, which yeah. is actually kind of a trope you see in spy movies because that's we talked about this earlier with Mission Impossible. Is has he ever actually had there's, James ever done something for MI6, or is he always just going rogue at this point? Um, I mean, ultimately his his whole thing seems to be. Um, particularly with the, the Craig ones is that it's like, I'm going to go rogue and then I'm going to bring you back the thing that you didn't realize you needed. Right. You know, the, the intelligence that you were too stupid to, to see. Um, and I, I think he's more, he's more of an MI6 dude in, uh, in the Brosnan ones, but those are just utter trash. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, all right. Speaking of moving on, you are Christopher Broccoli of Eon Productions, CEO of Eon Productions. 
where do you take the series next? And this can either be the next Daniel Craig picture or after, however you choose to accept okay. the question. So I touched on the, I'll, I'll, I'll answer both briefly. Um, I touched on this a little bit in our, in our review. I think uh, Craig's got one more in the chamber for uh, Bond. I, I believe he's contractually obligated mm-hmm. to five. So we're at least going to get one more. I hope that's the close to his story because judging by where it appears this arc is going, like it looks like they're going to have a, real final conclusion to much in the same way we got with something like the dark Knight rises, but I hope much more satisfying than the dark Knight rises. Um, I'll say this. There's, there's a very happy ending to specter that I think is going to be bittersweet once we get around to the next film. Um, which is, which is kind of the theme of the series and pop culture in general at this point is bittersweet. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I think if they, if they do it right, I think it'll be satisfying. I think it will elevate my enjoyment of specter. Um, it'll make it a movie that is still dependent on the film that comes after it, but it'll at least make it a little more digestible. Mm-hmm. Um, next, I really want to see something completely different, be it. And, and, you know, now with Spectre out, we're getting all these lists of like the, the top 25 guys that could be a, a totally different bond and, and that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, I know Do you he, have a preference. Um, I don't have a single preference. I, there are, there are some that I think would be interesting. Like I, I liked the Idris Elba talk whenever mm-hmm. that came up and I don't think he's been necessarily considered, but I think it would be interesting to see like he could bring some, have you seen any of Luther? I haven't seen Luther, but okay. of course, you know, having seen the wire and some of his yeah. other things yeah. I'm familiar with. I mean, I, I think he could bring something really interesting that would probably be more in the serious camp, like, like a Craig, but um, bring a different flavor as well. Maybe not as um, just, you know, I feel like, a lot of people have a problem with Craig's because they seem like they're just like steely gray palette. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's it. No, no fun at all. Uh, on the other or on a different, uh, and I could see someone like Benedict Cumberbatch, maybe we're too far into him being, um, con and being, uh, Sherlock for that to, to work. But I think that could be a really interesting, I would love to see Benedict Cumberbatch, maybe even just do a one-off where him and Q have a real relationship together. Because I think that could be an interesting. And they go on an adventure. Well, they go on an adventure or they have like some sort of, you bring Q in as more of, and Ben Wishaw's Q at that. Like, yeah, I, keep hope, the- I really hope when Craig is done, we keep Money Penny, we keep M, we keep Q, we keep, we keep the keep characters the that are established cash. because they're really solid. They're, I have zero problems with them. Sometimes they're given dumb things to say and do, but they're really solid for that thing that you're you're pretty much always going to have in bond yeah you need the you need that uh, consistency yeah with, but, with your background but i would characters. you know i would i would love to see something left field that we haven't seen before and, and see them explore right. that how about i present you that left field scenario i'll start by saying i of course uh, agree with you as far as closing the closing the book on daniel craig mm-hmm. after five films and perhaps uh answering the unanswered questions with that series but as far as what happens afterwards before daniel craig was announced before casino royale was made yeah. A certain director wanted to take it on the picture with Pierce Brosnan and take on Casino Royale. And that director was Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino, I think, is very, very gifted at bringing in kind of classic, kitschy style of filmmaking, mm-hmm. whether it's spaghetti western or man on a mission or samurai pictures. He's very good at reviving those for modern audiences. So if he can tone down the Quentin Tarantino-isms, I would love to see him at least launch a Bond film, and I would like to see him launch that Bond film with John Hamm 
as James Bond. Mm-hmm. Now that might be I've 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 made a couple sacrilegious remarks, yeah, but you, having you an American play here's, 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 play James Bond. Here's that might I'll be the the most egregious, but I, I would really like to see him play that character. Okay, here's what I'll say about that. I'm not opposed to this idea, but it needs to be a George Lazenby one-off, not a new franchise of the character. Like, well, actually, that might be even though it probably it'd be a critical success, but a complete bomb. But I was halfway thinking it might be kind of fun to do a film wherever it's an anthology, wherever there's four smaller James Bond pictures as opposed mm-hmm. to one big one. And I, each I director, think, a different director, takes the character. I think that would be great. It's a little like it's risky and ambitious, but I would love because I think if Quentin Tarantino sets up a a Bond, like no one's going to be able to follow that up. And Tarantino's not going to want to continue making Bond. Right. He, and he's probably not going to have it in him to n- pull it back a little bit to yeah. where other people could take it on. Yeah. But I, if he were almost the showrunner of a, of a new series, if he could do that. And like I said, tone down the Tarantino isms, I would really like to see that movie. Well, I mean, I, I don't think he'll be able to be the showrunner of because Barbara, well, not Barbara show, Broccoli is, is well, not the showrunner per se, but the one who kind of instigates the visual, okay. the visual yeah. style, visual um, and storytelling I, I think, style. I think that would be very interesting in anthology. I, I am all for this idea. And, and John Hamm, while it's probably sacrilege, um, he could, you know, he could definitely handle both ends of, well, kind he, of hasn't he already, pl- the, but he's kind of already played James Bond in a way. I mean, isn't Don Draper? He's, he's the thing <laughs> so, about, so, so does, does his end with, he goes home and he's got a wife and kids. Yeah, exactly. That, that would be the perfect way to end it. But when you think about it, Don <laughs> Draper, he's hyper competent. He's mm-hmm. uh hyper, he's both hyper competent in his job. And then frankly, with uh, yeah, his, yeah. his extracurricular activities, but Personal it's, life is a mess. Right, right, but it plays with the the background of the Sean Connery James Bond thing of what does this guy go home to? What is yeah. what is how is he hurting? What's going on underneath? Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, Don Draper is the superficial James Bond that we never got to see the under underside underbelly yeah, too yeah. as it were okay i'll buy that i'll buy i i would buy a ticket to that all right fantastic well ladies and gentlemen chris and i have presented our james bond scenarios we want to hear yours so please tell us at hello at war starts at midnight.com and stick around for our really rad recommendations coming up next now promises made and debts were paid we tell ourselves we are not afraid fear only goes where it's invited to stay Trying to understand the lonely heart of man Sisters, brothers, fathers and mothers We've got to stand up for each other Sisters, brothers, fathers and mothers We've got to fight for one another Alright Hunter, as you can see I've uh, strapped you into this chair and I have a request of you. And there is a laser pointing towards my it coming slowly to slice me in half. Yeah, so I better be we're, quick. We're, we're gonna we're gonna lobotomize you with lasers, um, unless you tell me what your really rad recommendation is this week. And I pray that it has something to do with James Bond. Uh, not directly. However, the movie that I'm going to recommend features someone who probably should have been a Bond villain. But okay. uh, and I guess still could because they're still around. So in in classic Bond style, you're actually going to squirm your way out of yes, this, I'm uh, going. I, I, yes, and just yes, I've taken myself out of the uh, metaphorical laser machine with this recommendation. Chris, usually I recommend pictures that are pretty capital O obscure. Mm-hmm. This is the exact opposite because it just came out within the past month, and Netflix has been promoting it heavily. It is the new documentary Keith Richards under the influence 
which, as I said, is currently playing on Netflix. And I think Keith Richards would be make a magnificent Bond villain, or actually, it'd probably be a better M or a better Q. I think <laughs> he'd <laughs> be that, a great Q. I in would that love one, in that one off in that yeah. one off uh, uh, Don Drake. Excuse me, in that one off John Hamm. Yeah. Uh, Quentin Tarantino one. Keith Richards <laughs> needs to be either Q or M, I think. That'd but be great. Anyway, my assessment of Keith Richards, I've you know been aware and been a fan of the Stones for years, but my assessment of Keith Richards has always been very similar to how he describes himself in the pictures. He says that in many ways I've become a popular image, and mm-hmm. the image of me is someone walking around with a joint in one hand and a Jack Daniels in the other, uh, stumbling around. And in in many ways, he's propagated that image. But over the course of this picture, you come to realize that very quickly that he's an incredibly clever, wry, witty person. And what I admire about him and people like Keith Richards is he's almost incapable of being boring. Everything he says is unexpected. And so even if what he says isn't necessarily Shakespearean level profundity, it still gets you thinking. The best example I can think of right now is he was describing how he switched to reggae music in the early 70s, late 60s, and he said that the reason being is that rock and roll dropped the role and started to become solely rock, and he hmm. really likes the role. Yeah, and because so, he, was a, he was a real blues guy. Exactly, he was a yeah. real blues guy. So anyway, I just just the way of putting that, as opposed to just a lot of famous people, whenever that you interview them, it's just it's like a it's brick a, wall exactly like it's where a, where they're hiding that well it, actually i wouldn't even say they're hiding i'm not sure there's a whole lot there in many ways it's trying to pull well, any it, what makes yeah. them interesting is their talent they themselves are not necessarily interesting people yes. not yes. the case with keith, keith richards he's a very fascinating person and as i said everything he says is uh makes you smile makes you laugh makes you think mm-hmm. and so you get that over the course of an hour and a half and you really come with a deeper understanding of this mythical iconic rock figure and he really comes out of the shadow of Mick Jagger because that's kind of been his yeah yeah he hasn't ever really wanted that that place and so as a consequence we've kind of created our own image of what Keith Richards is based on the well, myth. And he's kind of played it up to he's well no absolutely dark. and he says as much yeah. but if the way I would describe it is if you liked Captain Jack since Don, <laughs> Johnny Depp based Captain Jack on Keith Richards this is kind of like a feature length documentary slash interview with a person who is genuinely uh captain jack and right. not nearly as uh irritating as that character wound up becoming so uh that is keith richards under the influence which is currently playing on netflix and i'll, I'll piggyback that real quick there's a pretty good mark Marin interview with keith richards that uh recently went up that i'll, I'll put in the show notes uh, just just it's, absolutely it's good listen yeah get high on keith richards <laughs> actually i imagine just breathing the air he's ex- exhuming would probably get you high but yeah. I, I don't think that happens while watching or, or at least a nicotine buzz yes ex- at least a nicotine buzz okay so i'm going to give a i'm, I'm going to try to give you a lightning round i don't know if i'm capable of that you know i'm pretty long-winded but i'm going to give you a lightning round of the best bond films from each um person who's portrayed bond on the screen uh that that you should watch or 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 the ones that i think maybe people haven't seen that they should are these 007 wait let me count it out it looks like about 006 actually i i'll make it 007 you're right there 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 are only six here i'll make it seven okay so first with connery gotta go goldfinger uh goldfinger was the first bond movie from like going chronologically through that i saw that i really dug um, it's, and it, it stands out, you know, we, we'd had some smirch stuff before that was trying to kind of connect, um, this whole cold war thing and it's its own, it sends out its own little, like it's a heist movie really, um, has some problems with like pussy galore and, and that, you know, the sex stuff that we were just, 
discussing. She's she's a villain who suddenly um, decides that she's going to have sex with Bond, and now she's going to help him out. Spoilers, I guess. But um, other than that, it's a pretty solid, pretty solid film. This guy Goldfinger wants to rob Fort Knox. It's it's just a great plot. Uh, then we've got. Uh, what I would say is until Craig's films, the best of the entire franchise. And that's honor majesty's secret service. It's George Lazenby's only bond film, but it really set the bar pretty high in production value in pretty much everything um, for a long time. And actually like kind of, it goes back down when we get back into uh, Connery's last bond film and the first few more films, they, they don't catch up for a while. Um, Really recommend it. Lazenby, not necessarily the best Bond, um, but this movie is, if you haven't seen it, really worth seeing, especially if you think the kind of campiness of Bond is not your thing. Um, Next, I've got A View to a Kill, which is Roger Moore's last Bond film. And he was like, uh, I think like 57 when this movie came out. Pretty old. But here's the thing. I don't like Roger Moore much as James Bond. And you get a great, great Bond villain in Christopher Walken. Um, so a lot of people hate this movie, really hate this movie. Um, I'm going to recommend it mostly for Christopher Walken, but also because if you've seen a more movie or two and don't like it, maybe try this one. Um, he tones it down a little bit just because he's getting so grandpa-y. Um, and it's a pretty good watch. Uh, next we've got, uh, what I actually didn't have on the list was a Dalton film. I think Living Daylights is probably a better film. But I'm, I think, going to go with License to Kill solely because it has my favorite Bond girl of all time. Um, I can't, I don't have her her name in front of me. It's she's a a uh, U.S. operative that kind of works alongside him and really goes toe to toe with Bond and doesn't allow him to give her any shit. And for that, I love her as a Bond girl because um, she is an equal with Bond in every way. Uh, then we've got Goldeneye because it's the only good Brosnan of the bunch actually gave me a lot of hope for the Brosnan movies. I remembered them being pretty bad. Saw Goldeneye. It was better than I remembered. And I was like, Oh, Brosnan's Brosnan's actually a pretty good James Bond. He ruins all that credibility with the next three. And probably, well, I actually never mind Patriot games came out before the spoiler alert, but I was going to say probably one of the first pictures that established Sean Bain as a guy who's always going to die yeah, in, yeah. Whatever, in whatever media you <laughs> yeah. consume. Uh, and, and, so finally, so I've, I've listed off uh, five here. You said seven. So I'm going to give you a double feature. I'm going to give you Casino Royale, the very first uh, of Daniel Craig's. And then I'm going to give you Quantum of Solace. And you got to watch them together in succession. Not, ne- not necessarily back to back in the same night, but maybe one one night, one the next night. And here's why. Quantum of Solace, not a great movie. But when you watch it with... Uh, all of the weight of Casino Royale in mind, it becomes a better movie. It is elevated by what is around it. And so I think it's worth giving a second shot because I think of the Craigs, it's just chided by everyone as a, a giant misstep. And I was really surprised by, it. I don't, I don't love it. It's definitely my least favorite. I think of, of his, but honestly you compare it to the worst of Moore or Brosnan or even uh, Sean Connery. And I think it's better than most of those. So it's it's bottom middle for me, probably, um, or maybe maybe right in the middle, but uh, worth a rewatch, I think. OK, Chris, while you were talking, I'm not sure you noticed I tied you up and you are now dangling 
over a pool of sea bass with lasers on their heads. Oh, oh my. And Look now you have to pick one or else you will dive into this pool of sea bass with lasers on their head. So you have to pick one, which is the best. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to pick a view to a kill only because I think if you've seen you know, some Bond movies, this is the one of the list that I think you probably definitely haven't seen because it has such a bad reputation. So I'm going to say that. Um, and everything but Dr. No and the Brosnan and Craig's are on Hulu right now. So um, several of these you can you can stream from Hulu as we speak. Um, and as you can see, I've now trained the the uh, what are these dolphins, trout, sea what are bass. You, these sea bass. Their lasers are now on you. Well, there you have it, folks. And I guess I have no incentive to continue this on as I am about to be massacred by a bunch of sea bass with lasers on their head. So that's a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com for show notes and weekly movie recommendations. And while you're on our website, why don't you sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Midweek Memo. It's filled with recommendations, news about upcoming episodes, and exclusive articles written just for you. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr at WSAMPod. And if you've made it this far into the credits, it's pretty safe to assume you like us. So why don't you stop what you're doing right now and leave us a review in iTunes. It'll help us reach new listeners and it'll make you feel awesome. Or if you're the trolling type who's just been hate listening through this entire episode, why don't you tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or give us a call on that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. Music on this week's show comes from Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. Find music and upcoming tour dates at drewholcomb.com. Tune in next time when we will be tentatively making Chris Gallagher's dreams come true with a review of Dangerous Men. Thanks for listening. And remember, never say never again. Never say never again.